0: You are listening to Open Science Talk, the podcast about open science. In this episode, we are talking about Smart Tool, or Strategic Mastery of Russian Tool, a free-to-use online resource for learning the Russian language. I'm joined today by Radovan Bast, uh, IT, IT engineer, and uh, Laura Yanda, a professor of Russian language. Here at UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. So, welcome to the program, Radovan.
1: Thank you.
0: Welcome to the program, Laura. Thank you. So, um, we are here to talk about Smart Tool, the strategic mastery of Russian tool, which is found on GitHub, free for everyone to use. Before we start discussing GitHub and this smart tool as such, So, let me ask you, Laura, about the status of Russian today. I mean, how big a language is it? How important is it in this increasingly globalized world?
1: Uh That's a very good question. Uh, According to the data that I've seen, Russian is the second most learned language as a second language in the world and it's also the second most used language on the internet so and of course i mean russia is a major power from the perspective of norway it's our biggest neighbor so i think russian is very important in the world yeah second
0: largest on the internet Mm -hmm. something um so teaching russian as thoroughly and uh, as efficiently as possible is, of course, a huge task and an important one. So, where does this smart tool come into the picture and how, what, could you tell us something about the concept behind it?
1: Mm -hmm. So, Russian is one of the languages of the world, and and in fact, actually, probably most languages of the world are like this, unlike English and Norwegian. Um, But Russian is one of the languages of the world that has what we call rich morphology. And that means that for any given word, it may have many, many forms that it's used in. So, for example, a noun is inflected for both case and number and has at least 12 forms. An adjective is inflected for case and number and gender and has almost 30 forms. And, uh, and a verb is inflected for person, number, also we have aspect in there, we have tense, uh, we have also participles, and so there are around 100 forms for a verb, depending upon, depending upon the verb. Uh, basically, this means that even if you're learning only a very, um, a very simple vocabulary of about 3,000 words, the number of potential word forms associated with those 3,000 words is over 100,000. And that is an awful lot for somebody to master and to learn. Of course, uh, when I started learning Russian, I learned the old-fashioned way that we should learn the whole paradigms and and be able to uh, understand and produce all of those forms. Um, by, by just learning them as, as tables, as if they were all equally important. Um, but some uh, research that we did a couple of years ago uh, with a, a machine learning experiment showed that it was actually more efficient and we got better results if we focused only on the most frequently used forms of the word. So what the SMART tool does is it takes... Um, it, it takes uh, data that we have on language and it it, it shows the, um, for each word, it shows the three most commonly used forms of that word. And then we go back into the language data to find out why each of those forms is used. In other words, what kind of uh, collocations, that means words that sit around that word form, and also what kinds of grammatical constructions are important. And what we find is that every, for every word, this is something unique, and also for every word form. So one word form might be used in, one word might be used in certain parts of the paradigm, and other another word in other parts of the paradigm.
0: Right, so this means if you have like a word uh, the word for table for instance mm-hmm. uh, you don't need Stop. to inflect that in in all different forms it's not necessary for the learner to to, no. to learn it at least not at the, the lowest level
1: so no no because i mean for a table not surprisingly but one of the most common forms there is the locative singular which describes a location with the preposition na, which means on, nostalje. So, so something
0: is on, on the, the table. On the table, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's, of, of course, important mm-hmm. then. If you learn mm-hmm. on the table, the f- almost the first things you need to learn then is on the table. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, and yeah, so on and so forth. So, so, you did it statistically and you used a bit of machine learning to, mm-hmm. to but now you're moving on to human beings. Is that right. correct? Right, right. Yeah. And how do you approach them? with the smart tool
1: yeah so uh, so with the smart tool you can um, you can go into the smart tool you can select your level so we ha- there are there's a standard way of determining language proficiency in Europe this is called the common european framework of reference so cefr level so that goes from a1 a2 b1 b2 c1 c2 a1 is a very basic learner who's uh, who has who only knows a few vocabulary items and very little grammar Uh, but a c2 is actually an educated native speaker so this is a very big range
0: do you approach every every person, so to speak, on this range or? No.
1: No. So we, we focus on the A1 through B2 range, which is approximately the, the range that we hope our students will progress through as they're studying at university. So, so yeah, so you go in, you select a level, and then you have uh, various options. You can look up words either according to topic. So we have various topics such as food and transportation and health and and, and such. Um, Or you can also look up words according to like a dictionary. They're just alphabetical and you find them that way. But one way that we have of looking them up that's very special is that you can look them up according to their grammatical analysis. So let's say, for example, in Russian we have the dative case, which is a case that you use when for a recipient. So if I give the book to to Per, then Per has to be in the dative case because he's the re- recipient. Um, and it's you know it's only certain words that are used often in the dative case. I can actually look up that dative case, singular or plural, and find words and collocations that are. Sp- specifically, those are specifically the items that you would most frequently find there. So it's a very strategic way, again, of learning that. Why learn the date of case for lots of things that don't care about the date of case? It should be, it should be strategically focused on that.
0: Right. So, now, we've, now we have some insight into what it looks like, this mm-hmm. module, you can always look it up uh, on the web uh, as a listener. But I would like to know something about how it was actually made. And that's when I turn to you, Radovan. You're an IT engineer. And uh, how did you get into this project
2: in the first place? So this project started uh, with an email uh, sent to the IT department where Laura was looking for somebody who could help out setting up a web service like this. Also, ideally, somebody who who I think understands a little bit the problem of um, a language which has this rich morphology and uh, and it was fortunate that I really like programming and web development but also I'm half Czech so I could relate to the rich morphology of the of the language and then so I saw this email flying by I thought it was interesting I thought there was more that we could do with it more than only set up a web server so I suggested that we would meet and discuss which we did and I thought it was very interesting. I thought it would not be very difficult to do. I thought there would be a lot of value in creating such a service and in contributing. And so we started collaborating and really a couple of weeks, months later, we had the first prototype.
0: It sounds to me like you're an IT engineer, but you sound also a little bit like uh, an architect behind it. then that you sort of did more than was expected you and you involved yourself into the project more actively than perhaps the... Average IT person would just set up a database and let the, the researchers do,
2: do the rest. Is that correct? I really like the I like this software architecture aspect. I was also very interested in uh, the long term aspect of it, and I'm I'm very driven by the idea of an impact. And I thought there would be more impact in the long term if we set it up it in, in a particular way, which means in, in a very open way. So both the both the source code and the data openly. Accessible, modifiable, reusable. So I was very interested in in the impact aspects of it, and that's why I wanted I wanted a bit more than just cross the tick and say that yeah, here here's the web server, here's the database, and I wanted to be involved.
0: <laughs> and uh, GitHub then uh, is where you you put it online, and mm-hmm. it's also associated with a lot of uh, experimenting with IT programs and software, etc. Uh, are there many language programs there, uh, language services there, tools, etc.
2: In general, so also in general, there it is. It is one of the standard places to for collaborative code development. It's not the only place, but we chose GitHub because it is it is the most popular one, the the one with the most visibility. So we I think we wanted really also the visibility of the project and the code for future potential collaborators and contributors. I would say GitHub hosts a whole spectrum across all disciplines, academic, but also commercial codes. But I would say most academic uh, open source software is being hosted on GitHub for the for the popularity and visibility and network effect aspect.
0: Right. Um, If we look up GitHub as an outsider like myself, what we find is then um, that these Short examples, short sentences. They have all been recorded. Um, they they are in, with a female voice and a male voice. Is that correct?
1: Well, actually, we use a voice synthesizer for that on our smart tool. So we we looked around at some voice synthesizers and we discovered that it was possible to uh, link it directly to a voice synthesizer. We would like potentially in the future to to, um, have actual recordings. The advantage of having a voice synthesizer for Russian is that Russian orthography doesn't tell you how to pronounce the vowels. They're very dependent upon where the stress is and that's not marked in the native uh, orthography. So so the nice thing about the voice synthesizer is it gets the... um, it gets those vowels right at least 99% of the time. However, the overall sentence intonation isn't so perfect. So we would we would like to eventually get it in get it recorded. Um, the reason we have both a male and a female voice is that uh, Russian intonation is rather different for females than for males, and we felt it's important for students to have gender appropriate roles. Right. or to be able to choose what they felt were gender-appropriate roles.
0: Now, I'm a little bit disappointed because I thought it was a living voice, but it's a, it's a synthesizer mm. then. No,
1: for yeah. now it's a synthesizer, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, anyway, the um, the synthesizer uh, helps the, the, the learner uh, mm-hmm. to to acquire also the pronunciation, which is, of course, exactly. uh, yeah. at the heart of all language learning today. Um, how about this, you mentioned Radovan, um, this openness, uh, open source, open code, um, but I guess potentially in things like this, machine learning, improved uh, automated translations, also could be an output of this, an impact of it. Um, could you envisage that uh, a commercial partner or a commercial uh, agency would just find it on GitHub and scoop it? and? Uh, and then uh, develop it a little bit further, and then uh, commercialize it.
2: Okay, so this is so we can also discuss about the choice of openness. Um, I think commercialization is possible. So the uh, the open source license which we have chosen is not incompatible with uh, with commercial use, but we have we have chosen a license which makes sure that if somebody takes the, takes the the tool, and changes it, they have to share also the changes openly for us to be able to reuse them and for the community to be able to reuse them. So somebody can m- build a business out of it, but the but the license will make sure that the project will benefit. So the, the changes will be further accessible to the community. And it was important for us to go for an open source, open data way because I mean, we are, I think well we are funded by the public, I think we should give back to the public. I think it, the results should not be only accessible to very few, but to the wide, wide public. There are technical reasons. So the, the hosting is then easier, more lightweight, cheaper, but also we wanted to encourage uptake and modifications, contributions. And also if somebody wants to, uh, we wanted to make possible to identify maybe problems. So if there is a mistake, uh, somebody can now inspect the code inspect the data and and suggest changes and improvements and this is then a very easy in an open source setting if the if the if the code is closed and the data is closed it's very hard to identify problems and and reuse it without reinventing the wheel um,
0: what we're basically talking about here is an example of open education or Mm -hmm. open language education, you could say, to be more specific, Um, is this something that you could use instead of going to classes or is it a supplement to going to classes for a student?
1: It's a supplement for going to classes, Uh, so this takes care of mostly your vocabulary and morphology acquisition. But um, I should say that the smart tool can be used by anybody who wants to learn Russian. They don't have to be going to classes. They could be an independent learner. They can be anywhere in the world. Anybody with a computer and an internet connection can use it. However, that said, I should also say that we are using the smart tool as a component of a new uh, course that is being developed here at uh, UIT, it's a beginner course, a first semester course, and this is the vocabulary uh, component of that course. And um, as I told you before, the Smart Tool itself allows you to pick a level, so your A1, A2, A—I mean, sorry, B1, B2. Um, in we Radovan has also developed uh, a version of the SMART tool that's specifically for, for the course that we're developing. And in that course, we use all of the A1 vocabulary broken down across uh, 35 different lessons. And so in that version of the SMART tool, instead of, getting, instead of choosing A1 or A2, et cetera, you choose lesson one, lesson two, lesson three, and you get the vocabulary just for that lesson.
0: Um, And how about you, Laura, how, what made you choose openness in this? Why, why is this uh, ended up as an open science uh, project, you could say?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I already have a salary from the state. (laughs) (laughs) I already have a job. I don't, I don't need to make more money. I'm, I'm much more interested in seeing something like this grow and, 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 Seeing that people can use it and 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 that it's uh, that it's out there and available, I'm I just I don't have any personal interest in in managing a business or or any of those things. So, and I have to say that it's been very exciting since I've started giving talks. I've been invited uh, to various conferences and given various talks about the smart tool, and quite a lot of interest has uh, grown up around it. So now it is the case that there are over 40 scholars from, I think now, 11 or 12 different countries who want to develop smart tools for other languages, and uh, Radovan has created a generic version of the uh, programming code such that rather than it being specific to uh, Russian with an English interface, that you you could have any target language and any user language. And so then it's a matter really of just developing the, um, the content. At present, we're looking into uh, making a proposal to the uh, cost action. It's an uh, EU scheme for supporting uh, networks of scholars working on, in science and technology. Uh, so that uh, we could all work together and find the best solutions for these this myriad of smart tools. And at that point, now we have to sort of rename the smart tool because it can't be just strategic mastery of Russian. So I'm suggesting we call it strategic mastery in the acquisition of rich morphology tool. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we'll
0: see about the acronym. <laughs> acronym. <how> yeah. That <laughs> like. yeah. So. so um, is there anything you would like to add now towards the end of the podcast, uh, Radovan?
2: I mean, maybe I can just two more arguments uh, about uh, why open. Because it, uh, now uh, Laura mentioned that there are a couple of groups really getting excited about the tool, and the fact that it is open, it's also for them a guarantee that they will not get locked out of their contributions because it's a it's a multi-month, multi-investment, and for for somebody uh, who is into programming, the openness can for me, it g- makes it possible that I can actually show somebody my work. If it was closed, I would I would only tell that the yeah, IFP worked on this and this project, but I couldn't really show it. Now I can really show it. This is what we did. So I can put it on a CV.
0: How about you, Laura? Anything you would like to
2: add? <laughs> no. <I'm
1: fine. laughs> Thanks so much.
0: Okay. Thank you very much, both of you, for coming to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for
1: having us. Okay, Thank you.
0: This podcast is produced by the University Library at UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. Thanks for listening.